to Deconversion Therapy Podcast. I am Bonnie and... And I'm Karen. We're a podcast that's comedic about religion. If you don't think those two can mix, hopefully you'll just give us a listen. Keep an open mind and see we don't make fun of people unless they're awful charlatans. <laughs> uh, we just have fun with our own memories of growing up in church. We're both ex-evangelical Christians, and this podcast is open to anyone of any religion, including who we're going to be doing today's episode about, which is Son of Sam, Mr. David Berkowitz. Come on out, David. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> we're not in prison. Um you usually tell people we've known each other since we were one year old. Oh, I never tell people that about. <laughs> I know. So we've you known each other twenty brag years. About it. <laughs> um, so we grew up together, going to uh, Baptist church, Baptist day school, Baptist college, youth group. Um, you know, church three or four times a week. And just any time I think that you get into an organized thing like that, there's going to be humor. And, yeah, there's going to be inside jokes. There's going to be the way it's a microcosm, and a lot of people who never grew up in it are always wondering what goes on in there. Or they read something in the news, and they're like, what? And a lot of them will call me up or they'll ask me questions. Like, you know, I don't understand. You really would have, you know, more than one Bible? Why would you need more than one? You know, any kind of question that we just think, oh, that's obvious. So we're here just to goof off, and hopefully you'll get a little information along the way. Okay, speaking of Bibles, today I was in Barnes & Noble looking for something, which is what you do in stores, <laughs> in case you haven't gone to a, an actual store. So uh, right at, as you walk in, there is a table that says, what is it? Um Oh, historical fiction. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, this will be fun. So I went and grabbed a Bible and just put it on the display. <laughs> See, I've seen that done, but it's really? usually by like 22-year-old guys. Shut up. Who don't have jobs and they're posting it on Reddit. That's right. <laughs> I just want the worker to go and try to clean things up. Go, damn it, somebody did it again. Right. I'm sure they do. And speaking of books, that reminds us that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Yes, that's right. We have a sponsor. It's all going to hell now. Uh, get a free audio book download and a 30-day free trial if you go to audibletrial.com slash deconversion, they have over 18, nope, they have over 180,000 titles to choose from. They have over and, 18 titles to choose from. <laughs> and only 170 of those are different versions of the Bible. So you can listen to it on your iPhone, which I do, Android even a Kindle, or if you have like an iPod shuffle still somewhere. A Zoom. A Zoom. <laughs> God, I saved up for one of those for my no. husband one year. Like no. that was, it was gold. It was like, oh, this is going to be great. Guess what? It holds a hundred songs. So, yeah. 
Well, I wanted to tell you, I'm the one that's usually on social media, and we did our Wild Wild West. That's not it. Nope. We did our Wild Wild Country episode on the cult, the Rajneesh, and we were wondering if anyone had been to their old campsite area in Antelope, Oregon, because it was bought by Young Life. And there was someone who ended up DMing us on Instagram. Go find us on Instagram, Deconversion Therapy. What does DM mean? Direct message. By oh, me. okay. Yes. See, I'm going to That was to for our elderly elder. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I will send this to your AOL account and then you'll be able to see it. Um, but this person said that they actually went to the Young Life camp a few years in a row, and the tr- church group that this person went with wasn't actually affiliated with Young Life because Young Life didn't want to associate with her church because they were charismatic crazies. But Young Life was nice enough that they would rent it out to them every winter so they could be filled with the Holy Spirit on the same grounds of a cult. She said that the creepy part was just her actual church meeting, not the actual (laughs) place itself. And I asked, did you all know that it was owned by a cult before? And... She said that people did know it would be like the gossip that would spread around. But it was never announced and said, you know, out loud I don't feel that they were as much of a cult as a commune of people who were looking for enlightenment. Yes, and therefore they were a cult. But (laughs) They just lived together. They did live together. Um, but she said she took like a walk and you'd find like abandoned tiny one and two bedroom A-frame houses. Yeah. Uh, and little things. And one time she took like an information uh, about Oregon, you know, walk thing that you sign up for if you really want to pay people to walk you around in the outdoors. And um, <laughs> why would you want to do exactly. that? And there was some tiny little ghost town with a, a museum that had a bunch of Rajanish propaganda in it. But oh, cool! So now I wonder what they did with the building that was their lab, their you know pharmaceutical lab. Oh, that's probably a kitchen now or something. <laughs> so this week's episode, we're doing Son of Sam or David Berkowitz and his conversion and ministry that he holds from a prison. Yeah, his conversion to Christianity. Yes, let me be straight. Picture this. It's the 70s. And for the youngins out there, why don't you describe the 70s, Bonnie, since you lived in that old time? It was awesome. (laughs) And in one of the interviews or pieces of video that I was watching on YouTube, they talked about how disco had just exploded. So people were going to discos and dancing. Lots of leisure suits. Lots of leisure suits, high-heeled shoes, both men and women, long hair parted in the middle, Mm -hmm. Um, 
Uh, probably not a lot of bras. No, no. Um, a little lacking. Bell-bottom pants. Yeah. Lots of rainbows before the gays stole it, who then now <laughs> it is being stolen They appropriated back. it. Yes. <laughs> now it's being re-re-re-appropriated by Christians who are now saying that they are taking back the rainbow to make it be God's promise. I was so excited when my mom got a car that was white and the rainbow looked perfect on the back. Remember when everybody put a rainbow on their back windshield? Yeah, right in the middle. Yeah, Yeah. I was so excited. So it was big Um, hair on the guys, sort of straight and stringy on the girls, and big cars and big collars. Yeah, everything Um, made out of flammable material. Sure. Disco balls. And you and I were young and we were kids and we were just watching all the TV shows that were coming out that had all these bell-bottomed people looking like they were having a blast and just running into, like, hotel rooms together giggling. And we'd just be like, oh, look how fun they're having on the love boat. And, like, we had no idea there was, like, rampant sex all over television. loving on the love boat. Three's Company, all that. So David Berkowitz grew up in the Bronx in New York. And even though it's not the same borough, when I picture Son of Sam decade, you know, or era of when he's doing his crimes, I totally picture Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah, that's true. You know, just kind of gray and brown and a bunch of kids who aren't suspecting anything's going to happen. And um, you were going to do a little bit of a coverage of his crimes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, quickly about his crimes, because people might not love true crime podcasts like we do, but David Berkowitz, in the 70s, he would um, go up to usually parked cars of people making out, and he would just shoot them both. And Yeah, it was usually a couple. It was usually a couple. Um, it was in, was it in the Bronx or Brooklyn? Not sure. Bronx. Yep, he lived in Yonkers. Oh, yeah. And then yep. what? happened is uh, it was all done within a year I, I don't know if he killed seven or eight but it was really scary. i think it was six <laughs> okay and Could have been <laughs> <five>. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but but he shot some others some were wounded right and they could identify him, and that that's who was able, the, those are the people who were able to give the sketches and you know that they were what like, he looked like he lit like two thousand fires that yeah. was insane yeah, so he, and I think he strikes all those chords of like you are going to be a problem adult. Um, but yeah, he it ended up being so um, people were so crazed because that's when young people were really just like you said going to do the hustle and going to bars and meeting people, and they became so paranoid because this guy was just shooting random people and once they put once they had an article in the newspaper about how they thought that there was a similarity to all the victims with the long brown hair Mm -hmm. i think once jimmy breslin maybe had that featured in one of his pieces 
boom, uh, and this was in the movie, then everybody started cutting their hair and dyeing their hair blonde. Right. And I heard they were buying blonde or red wigs. Wigs. Mm-hmm. They were wearing their hair up. So it's so strange how, yeah, it just sort of everybody changed. That sort of happened when Ted yeah. Bundy was around, too. Um, yeah. And then, let's see. So, so I, I'm going to tell you about if, well, you probably know this, but when he was a kid, uh, his birth mother gave him up for adoption. So his birth mother gives him up for adoption because she had a fling with a man who didn't want to have anything to do with him. Um, All through his childhood, he was a bad, bad kid. And it wasn't just he was rebellious. He had seizures and real, real problems, so much so that the school told his parents, if you don't get him some counseling, he's going to be kicked out of school and he won't graduate. And he said the counseling was lousy, oh, which yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so the <laughs> the part about the whole adoption thing that I love is people were thinking, oh, well, that was what it was. Is um, one, one person speculated that he grew up, found his birth mother, and she was a disappointment. And he's like, no, she was really nice. I used to go over to her house. She would cook me dinner. Um but his his adopted mother passed away when he was a teenager, and he did not do well with that. Um, did, so you can yeah. imagine a troubled kid. Did you know that his birth mother was a Ziegfeld Follies dancer? No, but yeah. Did you know his birth? Okay, so and she was <laughs> Jewish. Wait, no, yeah. don't go there we yet. Wait, a- don't go there yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk about it now because that's part of the religion thing. Oh, okay. So once they caught him and it was revealed that the killer's name was Berkowitz, everybody who was Jewish was like, what? Not one and they of were ours, horrified. Damn it. Not one yeah. of ours. Yep. Then it came out that he was adopted and they were all like, aha, they're not <laughs> ours. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, phew. Not one of ours. Then you find out that his birth mother was Jewish, and so was his birth father. Right. So, um, but still, they did not enjoy the fact that one of theirs was this huge serial killer. I was telling my friend Jake this. He grew up in New York, and I asked him if he remembers any of the reaction. And he says, yeah, we get nuts about that stuff. My mother used to insist no Jews were alcoholics either, but she finally got over that myth. (laughs) (laughs) So in one of the pieces that I was watching, Larry, uh, Larry King did an interview with him and he brought that up to David Berkowitz. Um, He said, he said, so, you know, people weren't real happy that it turned out you were Jewish. And he implied that because the Jews had a higher standard of morals, their moral code was different. Larry King said Isn't that. Isn't that strange? Yeah. I would, you know, I don't doubt that. I mean, there there is the joke that has truth in it. How many times do you come across a homeless Jew? You know, there there are <laughs> different, quote, stereotypes that are sort of there for... A reason, but can you imagine if if we whites 
apologize every time one of ours did something. Like, that's not even... Or f- felt anything, you know, because African-Americans do and Koreans right. do, you know. <laughs> There's, but you know we what's... We don't have the time for that. <laughs> so, okay, so not only Larry King, so he was um, participating in an interview from prison with Inside Edition. This is like 1999. So David says, you know, when I got out of the army, I moved home. Um, I I came back to my home and all of my friends had gotten married. I had goals like everybody else. I had saved up money. I had a job. I had enrolled in school. I bought myself a really expensive stereo system. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, he goes, I never expected to be in a place like this. So the interviewer says, well, a lot of Jewish comedians come to the Catskills where the prison was. What? Like, how do you get away with it as an interviewer? Oh God. Bringing, yeah, bringing, the, so I just thought it was strange that two interviewers bring up, you know, the Jewish thing yeah. with him. I wonder, it's crazy. yeah, I wonder how much that would play if and when he's interviewed these days. These days, yeah. It's wildly inappropriate, but this interviewer thought he was being so funny. Yeah. And David just wouldn't have any of it. In any of these interviews, he doesn't crack. Right. And doesn't doesn't soften. It's all about his conversion. And so that's what we're going to get into, because this guy was the most horrific, frightening... Uh, terror of his day. He exemplified serial killers of that time because it was random shootings. Yeah, the randomness is just freaking. Right. And nobody knew what was going on. And then he also would write letters goading the police. So that's another part where he would um, definitely talk about you know, how, I can't remember if he was feeling smarter than the cops, but he would send letters either to, maybe it was to the, um... He would send letters to Jimmy Breslin, okay. a columnist. And it was really rambling, though. Yeah. And he says at that point back then, he was uh, into the occult. So when he moved back home after the army... None of his friends were there anymore. And some friends or some people at a party befriended him. Mm -hmm. And it turned out they were into the occult. And that's how he went down that path to worship Satan. Well, this is where we will find you and I at a crossroads. Me (laughs) with getting information from podcasts and you from, I mean, it's everything. Wherever you look, you hear a different story. So I researched this to, to make sure it was right and from what I could find it was so there was a point before the army where he had moved his stepfather or or something moved him down to Kentucky and he started going to a church there called Beth Haven in Louisville Kentucky and it's still there and he was very influenced by it he became a Christian and He was enamored with the whole idea of heaven and hell, angels and demons. The same, I went through that. So a boyfriend and I were really into like, oh gosh, there are, you know, 
angels and demons acting on our behalf and fighting for our souls, we should really know everything there is to know. Right. And we got the satanic Bible and we're reading it and praying God would protect us as we read it, you know. But mostly you're just fascinated with it. So he became fascinated with all of it. And then I guess he went back home and then he said he got into the occult. But from what I found out, there was never any solid evidence that he did meet with any occult groups. Yeah, that's strange because that's, well, that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. You know, in these interviews. And that's the thing. Like, who's to know if he's telling the truth (laughs) or if he's not? Because like you said, he was a bad kid. Like, he was just getting expelled all the time. I think he did something with an animal again that you shouldn't, you know, harm an animal. (laughs) But he really had the trifecta there with, well, we don't know if he peed in his bed or anything. But um, (laughs) he was really uh, quite the difficult person. And he ended up getting a job at the post office. Oh, yeah. And that became like the running national joke about going postal and, oh, you know, you're going to go postal and randomly (laughs) shoot everyone? Well, you can thank Son of Sam for that. And if you don't remember, remember uh, in Seinfeld, there was an episode where Kramer was in the lounge betting with some cowboy on which planes would arrive when, and he gets $2,700 in the hole. So he calls Newman and he says, I need $2,700. Newman's like, I don't have that kind of money. He goes, well, then you've got to bring the bag. And he's like, oh, no, not the bag. So Newman shows up at the airport with a big leather bag and shows the cowboy. And he's like, what's this, a mail bag? <laughs> he goes, look at the name on it. Oh, that's he goes, right. David Berkowitz. <laughs> and he's like, I took over for his route <laughs> at the post office. <laughs> he goes, there certainly were a lot of dogs on that route. <laughs> and he says, did they say anything to you? And he goes, mostly just lay off the snacks. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they mentioned that because when David was arrested, he told the psychiatrists things that he knew they wanted to hear because he had read books on the criminal mind. So he made this stuff up like, oh, I thought a dog told me to do he all was, of these I was killings. hearing voices, yes. Yeah. I really do believe that that was, I think that, isn't it in the 20s that when you have your psychotic episodes, if you're prone to those? Yes, but he did admit later that he lied. So About that, yeah. yeah. But he, I mean, the voices he was saying he was hearing he was saying it was um he used to have a landlord that lived with his family uh as in david lived in the house of the family renting and they had a dog that barked all night and he just went batshit crazy and yelled at him and i think that could have been the one that had the dog named sam or that could have been the one that they that sam was the landlord and so he was just, then he admits that he was just making all of that but up. But it was so but creepy. But he said he was doing, he was doing occult rituals. Yeah. And so if you're doing any rituals, it's again, what happens with your brain when you focus on things like that. That's why I like to. And religion can go either way. It can go towards Satanism or towards Jesus. 
or right out the back hole like I fell. Um, <laughs> so, you know who has a really good take on religion is Ricky Gervais. Who's hilarious. I don't care what people said about his, was it the Oscars that he hosted? Oh, the Golden Globes? Was it the Golden Globes? He hosted the Golden Globes like three times. Yeah, and I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah, because he doesn't, he doesn't he care. Doesn't he can't be care. bought. It's the best. So... <laughs> So, if you never listen to Ricky Gervais's podcasts with Stephen Merchant and Carl Pilkington, you are lucky because I would like to have the ability to erase my brain and start over and listen to them <laughs> you all. You only got I, a few more years. <laughs> I know. So, I, I mean, I have some of them um, on my phone and I will listen to them over and over and over again because it's just like being in a discussion with the most insightful and funny people. Um, Ricky's the reason why I wanted to do a podcast and that's been going on now for like 15 years. So he doesn't mince words about his feelings about religion. Um, Somewhere in there, you hear the germ of an idea for one of the best lines in the recent series afterlife. And you say that Penn Jillette said this as well. Yeah. And, I have no idea who said it first, but it's still a great idea. Um, one of the characters challenges him by saying, well, if you don't believe in God, how come you're not out there murdering and raping as much as you want? And he goes, well, I am out there murdering and raping as much as I want. So she reacts as you would expect. And then he says, none, I don't want to murder or rape at all. It's not about God versus not God. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so I used to have all of those podcasts and I can't figure out where they went on my iTunes. I don't know if they're in the cloud somewhere. So I wanted to repurchase them and audible has the guide twos that he did. And those are exclusive to audible. So I had to go there and purchase them all again. And they're only like a dollar 50 each. So it's the guide to philosophy, the guide to the earth, the guide to the arts. And they just have conversations about those topics and they riff on things, and it's hilarious. And that's why we were, like, we want to get Audible involved in the podcast because I am not joking and that I listen to things all the time. Um, I'm listening to a new one by Lori Gottlieb right now. Uh, and then... Who's that? She used to be a writer, like, for ER, and I think she was somehow related to Friends, and then she became a therapist. So it's really interesting to listen to, but my favorite one to listen to is Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. Talk about insightful religion and him growing up in South Africa with all that he had, to, and his mom being super religious, and he's so funny and charming, and he does the reading, so... Um, I would hope. Yeah, I know, because he does a lot of the language stuff where he's like, yeah, like that. (laughs) And so those are the things we can personally recommend. And you do get a free audio book download and 30 days free trial. If you want to try it, you just go to audibletrial.com slash deconversion. And that is audibletrial.com slash deconversion and you can try that out and then you can always cancel at any time but I like to listen to it and I'm trying to get more into walking as you know and that is something I can do that's sort of brainless 
It is. And you know Stephen Fry, the comedian, English, British actor? Yeah. He lost all of this weight because of audiobooks. He just popped them on and went walking. And he just walked himself thin. Into a wall. And then (laughs) had to have hip replacement where he was on a liquid diet loss. No, but that's, yeah. Uh, Anything that makes me not feel the pain or notice, that's what I'm into. And talking about pain, let's get back into uh, Son of Sam's conversion. So he ended up, oh, at the trial, he was acting crazy there too. So the victim's families were all there and when he was pulled in and indicted I think the first time and they walk him in he starts Mm -hmm. yelling at one of the victim's parents he killed the woman say her name's Sheila he'd be like Sheila's a slut Sheila was a slut you know like cuckoo crazy but putting it on type of thing Um, Yeah, he said he was trying to act crazy so he could plead insanity. And he definitely got convicted uh, and put in jail. Well, and he decided to plead guilty. Oh, yeah, that's right. To spare. Because he didn't want the chaos of a trial. Right. That's right. Um, Which, I'm sorry. I know that we're not supposed to (laughs) be supportive, but... If somebody pleads guilty, I have so much more respect for that. Because it saves taxpayer money. It saves grief of the people. It's admission. If you're going to do the... Wait, what is the Beretta theme? You know, <laughs> don't you're do, gonna the do the crime if you can't pay the time. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say it opposite. And Martha Stewart did the same thing. She's like, what? Insider trading? I will go take my lumps, go to jail, and come out wearing a poncho. <laughs> That's right. Okay, he's in jail. He has, he's serving six consecutive life sentences. Okay. So he's never going to be paroled. And he knows. Right. He knows that this is where he's going to be for the rest of his life. Yeah. So tell me about his conversion to Christianity. So when he first got to prison, like I was saying, he continued doing some of those satanic rituals on his own. He says he was in a depressed state. Well, no shit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if, and now, if, if you think about it, like you go to prison and you're doing satanic rituals, they really don't, I, I would suspect, have a large, strong social group of satanic worshipers. You know? I don't. I know. Don't you think? I would. I mean, I they're would, probably not going to, they're not going to encourage that in prison. Well, that's what one of the things I was looking up was actually how disproportionate chaplains are. Now, I don't know if there's chaplains of Satan. But in this, <laughs> they're in not present the system, <laughs> in the prison system, there is definitely a huge, um, you know, disproportion. Yes, that <laughs> it's skewed. That's right. So I think at least eighty-five percent are. Here Christian. are the numbers. Oh. Are you ready? Do, 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 do. The estimated number of inmates in the prison system was one million five seventy-four people. In the 2013 census. Of these people, less than 1% of inmates identify as atheists. Well, that makes sense because those are the smart ones that aren't, aren't out there wanting to moral. kill and murder. Because they're not going to um, just be forgiven. Okay. Yeah, because it's just be nice to each other. Not a hard thing. Uh, let's see. The number was shockingly lower than previous estimated. This is from Wikipedia. Nearly 16% of unincarcerated population 
identifies as atheists. So 16 compared to less than one. Um, the religious prison population is 28.7% Protestants, mm-hmm. 24% Catholics, mm-hmm. um, 5.5% Muslims, 3.1% American Indians, about 3% of the inmates listed other as religious affiliation, <laughs> <laughs> and 3.44 were unknown. So that's um, that's saying that over 50% are Christians, but then the chaplains, I think, are about 85% Christian slash Catholic. I'm counting that, um, although Catholics aren't saved, remember. But Satanism is nowhere in here. Is nope, my they point get no representation, <laughs> although I am not, you know, really, uh, I'm not condoning any of the representation, but I am saying you're stuck <laughs> in a life sentence and you get, sentence. that's right. You get to go somewhere where you know you're not going to, you know, worry about dropping the soap for an hour and you go to the Bible study, whoever's well, teaching it. So with his conversion, it was an inmate, gave him a Bible, witnessed to him. He even mentioned in a lot of his interviews when he got back from the army, he was lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said if it hadn't been for that inmate sharing with him, he would probably be a miserable, lonely individual. Well, it, it just keeps making sense. If you accept Jesus, um, that's the recurring theme. Yeah. He, you know, you're less likely to be in a lonely place. Right. Um, I'm not saying that it's not real because you can believe it and it could be real to you, but Of course, it makes more sense. And so there's the term jailhouse Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it's, this is again, Wikipedia. It's the colloquial colloquial term for an observed psychological phenomenon of new inmates to find religion, that's in quotes, during their usually first Mm -hmm. (laughs) incarceration. It's closely related to Stockholm Syndrome and is a stress-induced behavioral disorder. Wow. Whether it comes from a genuine desire to repent and appeal to authority or other factors is subject for debate. But it talks yeah. in here. Oh, sorry. Well, you're going to want an You're going to want exactly want what it talks about next. Somehow. Because, yeah. you know, there's going to be victims who they're just never going to forgive you. And you get to have right. some sort of weight lifted off of you if you have a divine power doing that. Yep. Um, it talks about how others might join a religious group as a form of protection from other inmates mm-hmm. because it's rare for a physical altercation to happen in a place of worship in prison. So the prisoners even have a high degree of respect for those places. Um, Social interaction, it says, is an important reason, but it also says, you know, they can interact not only to allow the benefit benefit of socializing with other people, but the benefit of exchanging goods and services among (laughs) each other. Goods and services. (laughs) I know. But there was something in this that I'm trying to find. Um, It just talks about how it makes it an easier time to adjust to prison and an increased ability to cope. That's and for it sure. Help, yeah, and it shows that inmates become involved in religion um, as a way to improve their self-concept because they are experiencing guilt, remorse, and pain. 
So it and makes then, them feel better about themselves. Yeah, in this it does life, us too. they're going to be on the inside maybe for the rest of their lives. So to think that there is another life after where right. they get to see their loved ones again, where they're, you know, have this clean soul. I mean, it's yep. sort of a no-brainer. And I don't, so if, I mean that because, yeah, there's a lot of no So if you think about it, when we went to church, weren't we just little prisoners? <laughs> yeah. like Seriously. Senses. We were well, in the sense that we I know in, what you're talking we about. Were, yes. We were, we were in a place where we were going to be watched until we were 17 or 18 and went off to college. And even then, we didn't realize we'd be in a different, le- you know, lesser prison. Right, right. Because we went to Baptist college. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, I mean, yeah, it makes sense with anything. Uh, The whole idea of, oh, you know, you're the same religion as your parents. What a coincidence. As in, you know, (laughs) everyone of any religion, they grew up having to go to these places. They didn't have a choice. Very similar to Yeah, and we couldn't drive. What we were, we were little prisoners. We were little the only prisoners. option of anything extracurricular we had had to be approved by the authorities, mm-hmm. and they mostly wanted it to be for the good of the order. And then there's people who are like, "Oh gosh," but you know, prison is much worse than church, and they have not watched enough good TV shows. You've seen prisoners laughing, having a good time. I had a blast at church. I mean, I really loved every minute of it. I just happened to have come to the conclusion by reading the Bible that it's incorrect. Well, and one of the things that uh, I think is, is really poignant is when you leave your church or leave your religion, Mm -hmm. you lose all that. Yeah, very true. You don't have that anymore. And that's like prisoners getting out of jail. And that's why they recommit a lot of times, because they're going to need to go to a place. Yeah, But that's what Shawshank Redemption taught us. I know. That was a good (laughs) one. But if you think about it, David Berkowitz has more community that we used to have than we do now. Well, that's sad. That's right. (laughs) So if you look at David Berkowitz now, he is, I mean, he was always sort of, he wasn't goofy looking, but he wasn't just this super macho guy. Now he looks like almost a cuddly, sweet, older man that's always telling you the same joke over and sincerely laughs at his own joke. (laughs) And he wrote a book. From prison, and that is what I think started the new law that you can't make money off your own writings. And we have this whole idea that maybe prisoners who've done heinous crimes like this are cut off from public. But he's not at all. As you can see, you can find his interviews, and he has his own website called ariseandshine.org. And Mm -hmm. his friends started it for him because he's not allowed to do that. But they put up his daily journals. Yeah. He does messages. He he writes churches. He has like a little. Oh, he's got a cartoon tract 
yep. on his website, which tells his story. Yep. Um, and one of my favorite parts that I saw was on the Horizon Shine thing. It has mm-hmm. a picture of, it says, like, friends. And it's all these people who come and see him in jail. And they all pose with him with the fake background of a lake because I know because that's all they have there and I mean he's in like different clothes each time he's like in a yellow polo and jeans (laughs) um he's in a blue polo he does not look like he's someone in jail well, and I think if you if you figure out how much time he spends doing missionary, not missionary stuff, but if you figure out how much time he devotes to um, his ministry, yeah, then it, the, the you know what the other thing I have to say is he in the interviews, I really tend to believe him because he says he is sorry. He feels bad about the pain that he inflicted on people. He, there's no air of, like, jovial person right. to him. When they try to lighten up the interview, he doesn't fall for it and he doesn't laugh. He stays very serious, and he says he was a fool, and he has a lot of humility. So um, I got, again, sort of a different view from some of the things I was listening to, it, and... We can always look at this, or maybe we can have listeners look it up for us. That he, (laughs) you know, there was the idea that he has said other people were part of it, too, in the occult. Right. And that they never had anything that would prove that. And that for all his apologies and sorries, he still never said, it was just me, I pulled the gun, and I shot them. Remember our prison ministry? I like the idea that you go to prison. You still say that you weren't there. I don't and that remember could be. it, but um, and uh, we so they dressed us all up. Our youth group, kids from like thirteen to eighteen, and sent us in a bus to a prison, and we had to <laughs> sing our songs. And this is the one where we all had to wear polo shirts. And the guy, my boyfriend, was like, oh, uh, why don't you wear my polo shirt tonight in the prison? And I'm like, why? And he's like, because it's big and baggy and I don't want them using you as material later. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I just think, okay, what was what was the real uh, end game for us going there? I know. You know, if a prisoner uh, yeah. sees us. Do they think, oh, maybe when I get out, I can have some kind of uh, Child community bride? like this? Child <laughs> bride? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, are they looking at high schoolers and going, wow, look at all those white middle to upper class kids, and that's a life I can't identify with most of the time and that I'll never have. I don't know either, but prison ministry is huge because, again, captive audience. They've already got, you know, they just call up the chaplains. I mean, it's one of the only places you can just be like, hey, can we come sing? Hey, can we, you know, pass out Bible tracts? Um, So it's very interesting how all that happens. But as far as David Berkowitz, he's 
definitely got, you know, the walls of his prison is are very thin as far as him being able to reach the outside, communicate with the outside, lead people as far as, you know, Christian behavior. It very much seems to go one way. I mean, if anybody has a good conversion story to tell, it's him. And that's what I want to know. Okay. (laughs) so That's what you want to know? I do want to know, like, in most every other employment or or club or anything it's usually we're sending our top prepared ready cream of the crop and in christianity (laughs) it's always the opposite there are no people going from church to church saying i was born a christian i didn't do much (laughs) bad And life's been good so far. Don't you want that? Well, I think we've come to the end of another time where Bonnie has gotten Stockholm Syndrome with the people we're studying. She is currently now writing David Berkowitz to let him know her measurements. And this time, she is not going to wear a baggy polo. No. And if, you know... If you believe in heaven, you're going to have him on one side, (laughs) Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. So get your mansion ready. If if the mansions are according to best testimony, (laughs) they're going to have the best ones. (laughs) All right. So don't forget to look in Instagram for some of the pictures of the things that we were talking about. And we would love it if you would find us and rate us and review us. Yes, we've really appreciated a lot of the ones that we've seen lately, our ratings. Um, The last one I saw said, I went in with very low expectations. (laughs) And I love that. You are our our main demographic we're going after. But also send us your letters. Uh, I haven't told you, Bonnie, but we've gotten quite a few letters in the last week or two. So we'll do another letter sewed and just have a good time with all those. And I did look up, um, you can buy Son of Hope off of Amazon, although I think it's from a third, you know, one of those, yeah, one of those third party things. it, there was a low star rating, um, three stars, oh, no. uh, and this person wrote disclo- out of how many? Disclo- out of five. Disclosure: <laughs> I have not read this book, but I would love to. <laughs> the reviews are great, but the price is outrageous. So, oh my god, good for giving that three stars. <laughs> um, Wait, what's the book called? Son of Son Hope. of Hope. Oh, look, there it is on Amazon. Exactly. Oh, craziness. Oh, my gosh. Oh, let's see. So he, he has a book before <laughs> I do. Wait, this Damn is it. this makes me really happy. Um, oh, you're happy for because, him now because he can support no, 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 no. you when you. <laughs> no, this makes me happy because I think some of the reviews are the best. Well, maybe. Here's one. Worst book ever. Are you looking on Amazon? Yeah. 
I, yeah. I, mine only has 18 reviews. Oh, maybe I'm oh, not well, looking at them You didn't read them all. Oh, yeah, I didn't click. <laughs> so it's a, it's poems, it says. Yeah. It's poems about his <laughs> salvation. Oh, here's one. I wish I could get a refund. Oh. Uh, I just like... I just love it when people write these reviews. I like this. And see, here's me. I'm with you, Gregory. I got this book from the library. I started reading it today, and I hate it. Berkowitz <laughs> is now a so-called born-again Christian. The whole book is him quoting Bible passages and saying how the Bible has changed his life. I am not going to finish the book because I will not be preached at by a serial murderer, <laughs> which seems very simple, yet so profound, yet so back to simple. Yeah, it's crazy. And then here's a guy who said, I believe the Berkowitz is really a born-again Christian. You have, it's a, you have your yin, you have your yang. Yeah, it's very yin and yangy. That's right. And oh, speaking of reading books, and I'm not going to read it, when I was at Barnes & Noble today, there was this kid asking the employee, is there a movie of this one? <laughs> so he's, he's giving him all the books on his reading list for the one? summer, asking one? which ones have movies. <laughs> Been there, and kid. The guy goes, no, there's not a movie of that one, but that's a really good book. What? I'm not doing <laughs> that. That. Did, that didn't count with him. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of our week. Do um, find us on all the places and look us up on Facebook, Deconversion Therapy Podcast, and like that, and then you'll find out how you can join the private group called Deconversion Therapy. I like that. Find us on all the places. Yep. All them. <laughs> Even in all jail. Right, so this week I'm going to be praying for you. And I say don't be a ship pile. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>